Um, when we sat down and looked at the written questions, there were a lot of them. Um, and this is kind of supposed to be a kind of representative spread from what I can work out. Um, I didn't choose the questions. Other people here have chosen the questions for me. So I asked them to do that because they know your context better than I do. Um, so hopefully this will be useful. And if it's not, you can fall asleep or do something like that. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, Paul, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Are you saying uh, that the good works that God prepared for us is the work I do in the office or around the home? I always thought it was about gospel works directly related to God's work, e.g. evangelism, etc. Okay, so if you remember Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, it's by grace we have been saved. It's not from ourselves, it is a gift of God so that nobody can boast. But we are created uh, in God's image uh, as God's workmanship to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Um, what are the nature of those good works? I want to suggest to you, you can't answer that question just in terms of Ephesians. Good works is a phrase that occurs right through the entire New Testament. And it refers not to, it refers to obedience, it seems to me. It refers to living out the Christian life. And you can see that described in any number of different ways. Uh, one easy way to see it in kind of some of its varieties, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, so if you want to flip over to 1 Timothy 5 with me, if you've got your Bible in front of you. Um, uh, Paul there is actually talking about uh, they had this, this list of widows uh, that the church will support and who will they put on the list of widows uh, and Paul tells them in 1 uh, Timothy 5 verse 9 no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60 has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children showing hospitality washing the feet of the saints helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds that is good deeds is the whole gamut of the christian life it's loving the person who is your neighbor it's serving the person that's taking a meal to someone it's speaking the gospel to them it's living out your christian life in all of its fullness in this created order serving and loving and honoring the people around about you and that takes the form of obeying just about every commandment you can think of in the new testament okay so it's not specifically there's not some specifically narrowly defined thing good works are any of our deeds that are motivated by faith and love towards others in obedience to the gospel. Okay? All right. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mum. Can I apply everything you're saying to me as someone who doesn't work outside the home? Yes. Um, (laughs) That is, well, what I hope you've heard is that work as a Christian is about obeying God and seeking to see Jesus honoured in my life, and that means putting into practice in all the spheres of life that God has given me, my obedience to him. And so I'll obey him as I love my husband and look after my children and, you know, look after them when they're ill in the middle of the night and et cetera, et cetera, as well as when I go along to church and when I meet mums at the local school. Or my whole, all of that stuff that God's given me is how I obey. And so I hope that you can see how lots of what we've said this weekend obeys to you as you do your work that God has given you to do in all the contexts of your life. Um, As a working man, how do I know if I've got the balance right between serving my employer, serving my family, and serving God's people at church? Um, The answer is, you'll never get it right. Uh, (laughs) And and that's that's okay. That is, uh, at one level it's the right question, at another level it's the wrong question. So... um, 
part of the problem, right, as I've described to you, I've said, you have freedom and God has given you all of these spheres of life and I can do whatever, I, you know, massive amounts of freedom, what do I do? The problem that comes for at least some of us is we get into a thing called analysis paralysis at that point in time. And I look, I, I detail on a piece of paper the 13 areas of my life and everything that I could possibly do to serve in each one of those 13 areas. And then I try to find some mathematical equation that allows me to work out how to put all the numbers in at one end and have the right answers pop out at the other end. And the answer is there is no mathematical equation that allows you to do such a thing. Um, and the problem is, as soon as you get the balance, well, at least in my experience and, and our home life, I think Kathy would do the same, we manage to achieve the balance for kind of about 48 hours at a time, and then it slips out the door as, <laughs> as something else kind of comes onto our plate. So at moments, there are times when uh, work is demanding, and in order to be a faithful employer, I need to actually meet some of those demands that occur in my workplace. There are moments when I have let that so control my life that I've actually ignored being a father to my children or I've ignored uh, my next door neighbour who has been ill but I haven't spoken to for the last three weeks or I've ignored the people in my Bible study group because I haven't met with them for the last four weeks. So at any one point in time we realise we've got different spheres, I try to honour God in them and as the word of God is preached I'll be struck or challenged about the fact that I'm not meeting some of the responsibilities that I should meet and in order to meet them, I'm going to say no to something else. And as you do that, you'll keep searching for that miraculous balance, which will never occur. And that's okay. It'll happen when Jesus comes back, and that will be a truly beautiful... I, I look forward to that deeply. There's a deeply kind of uh, ordered, kind of slightly alien retentive part of my personality that would love life to be beautifully balanced. It's not going to be. But when you see the warning signs... Am I meeting with my brothers and sisters at church? Am I honouring Jesus in my workplace? Is my family being neglected and my kids, I come home and they are saying, who are you? There are pretty, some pretty obvious signs sometimes. Um, was that a question? question. Yep. Well, that's really hard for me to answer. I hope that it's chaos forever because that's certainly been my experience for the last 20 years of my life. <laughs> um, it gets, I want to say it gets better in some ways and it gets worse in others. That is, I think my life now has about five, I don't know how to put the number on it, but much more chaos than my life had 20 years ago. Um, I reckon I'm better at dealing with the chaos now than I was 20 years ago. Does that make sense? So I've actually grown, I hope, in working out how in the midst of the chaos to work out how to meet my responsibilities in various places. And part of that is learning how to say no when I need to say no to things. Uh, and if you're someone who enjoys pleasing people, uh, that will be particularly difficult for you. But we will each have different wrestles in that area of life. But I think I've gotten better at dealing with the chaos, but the chaos has multiplied. Okay, so I, I have three children and they're growing up and the chaos is multiplying. They have friends and lives and issues and the ministry that I'm part of. 20 years ago, I was leading a Bible study group. I'm now part of a ministry where I'm kind of responsible for this group of kind of hundreds of people and the chaos has multiplied in all sorts of ways. And I'm sure for most of you in your life, your responsibility at work's grown in the last 20 years, etc., you know, etc., etc., etc. Hopefully, under God, you get better at handling the chaos and the chaos grows. That's what I think happens.
I'm happy to kind of, if anyone wants to kind of chip in at this point in time, I don't think I'm the authority on these things. So if you know, anyone would like to kind of contribute, I'm more than happy. There is a mathematical formula that tells you how hard you should be working. When the boss approaches, you work harder. actually a difficult question. If the husband, uh, if the husband encourages the wife to work, but the Holy Spirit urges the wife to not work but do ministry full time, who should the wife obey? God or submit to husband? Uh, tick, 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 tick. Yeah, that's right. Um, what I want to say is um, that the question needs to be asked shows that something has fallen down somewhere in the system. Okay? Um, what the person who asks uh, the question, I, I assume that it's a wife from the way that the question's been asked, um, you need to keep working out what your responsibilities are under Jesus. Um, and uh, it would seem to me that the Bible very clearly tells me, and the, the Spirit tells me he speaks through the Word, and the word tells me to work out how to love and honour and respect and submit to my husband. So you need to work out how to do that appropriately in relationship with him. Um, I'm not quite sure what it would mean for the Holy Spirit to tell you that I should be doing full-time ministry and my husband's telling me to go out and work. Um, how is the Holy Spirit telling you that is a question that I would want to ask. Um, we need to realise that our, the way we do ministry is what we do with all of our lives. That's part of the point about work this week. And so that needs to be worked out in relationship, faithfully as a wife, within the context of the life that God's given me, trying to work out how to obey my husband and obey God at the same time. Um, I don't want to say much more than that. It's a very difficult question to answer. Is there ever a point to disobey an authority that's over you? There are moments in the Bible when it's absolutely clear-cut I either obey God or obey the authorities God's put over me. But I think in actual practice, there are very few of those actual situations that occur in real life. If Carmelina. Oh, yeah, go. Sure. Thanks, Carmelina. Okay, what are the biggest signs that work is an idol? What are the warning signs that I should be aware of? Part of the problem is it's really hard to answer that question. Um, where is your heart is the question. That's, that's what you're trying to answer. Where is my heart at? A am I going to work uh, joyfully, trying to serve Jesus, trying to honour him and, not let, and, and let work be part of my life, which is my sphere of obedience? Some of the warning signs are that I've stopped being who God has made me to be in all the other circumstances of my life. Okay? So if my elderly mother is in a nursing home and I haven't visited her for two months, that would be a sign that work has started to become an idol. If I'm not meeting together with my brothers and sisters at church regularly, but I'm starting to meet once a month and once every two months because I can't get there, that's probably a sign that work's becoming an idol. But the problem is they're only external signs of the reality, and the reality is what is going on in your heart. Is this the place that I go in order to feel significant, and meaningful is this the thing that makes me who I am in the world 
And if you answer yes to that question, then you're already in trouble, even if things have sorted themselves, like even if things look okay externally in terms of your circumstances. Because that has started to be the thing that you're living for rather than God. And that's the question that you need to keep uh, asking yourself honestly and just trying to honestly answer. Uh, and again, don't get caught in kind of a month's worth of nasal ga- navel gazing, or, or nasal gazing in fact, um, in, order to, <laughs> in order to answer that question. Uh, try and be honest and prayerful with yourself and work out how to answer the question. Okay? Um, uh, the same question, how would you know if you're working too hard? Uh, legally, in their place of employment, people often can't share the gospel to custom- with, with customers, etc. Should Christians circumvent this uh, and preach anyway? Yes and no. <laughs> that is, um, what most of those codes of conduct are saying is that you're not allowed to use your job as a, and fill in the blank here, in order to actually get them to pay you to be a full-time gospel preacher. Okay? So it's not okay, for example, as a doctor, the first time that, you know, someone come in, they're vulnerable, they're sick, would you just like to hear about Jesus before you tell me your problems? Uh, tell me your symptoms, and I would just like to... That's, just, that's not the way the world works. But in natural relationship with people, it is okay to be a Christian. And if, as you are Christian in relationship with people, people ask you questions about being a Christian, you should answer them honestly as a Christian. Okay? So... Um, I can't think of many circumstances uh, where that's actually going to get you into too much trouble. If you seek to live as a Christian, act as a Christian, and someone raises an issue and you, you speak as a Christian in that situation, they want to ask you more questions, you go right ahead and knock yourself out. Flip side of that is, you've got this great gospel thing going on with this person who sits beside you at work, and you found out that you've spent four hours of today chatting about the gospel and you haven't actually done what you're supposed to do in order to be a good employee, you really should be doing that and say, why don't we catch up after work, have a meal, there's lots of other ways that I can get to that issue. Okay? Be godly, obey God. Uh, What was that one? Gee, I don't know. Anyway, um, (laughs) that that was the question I just answered. So uh, anyway, what uh, what do you think working for God looks like in high school academically? Is it using the gifts God has given you to the fullest How can one avoid pride if one does well? Um, I want to say that working for God in high school looks just like it looks like for everybody else here in various other circumstances in life. That is seeing that my being at school is part of the situation that God has given me in life and I'm to try to do that thing faithfully and well, but it's only part of what my life is. I'm a son or a daughter to some parents and I'm probably a brother or a sister to some of my siblings. And I have other areas of responsibility and there's youth group to go to and I have relatives that I like. I want to do that job, which is part of what God's given me to do well, but actually put it in the perspective of the other things that God's called me to do as a Christian. And so I want to, I guess, get away, and this is probably one of the fundamental messages for everyone to take away from the weekend, doing one particular thing to the absolute fullest of my ability to the exclusion of all else that kind of pursuit of excellence idea is ultimately an idea that comes from the pagan world and not from the scriptures 
Because God doesn't usually make us as people and put us in place where there is just one particular thing that I am made to pursue with all of my heart, soul, mind and strength. Uh, and to do that actually means neglecting other areas of responsibility that God's given me. Okay? So I'd be godly Christian by living well in the relationships and life that God's given me. Um, how do I deal with pride if I do well? Can I encourage you to remember God has given you everything that you have. If you are clever and you do better than average academically, that's not because you're particularly wonderful. It's because God gave you a particular set of parents and a particular set of genes and you got lucky. <laughs> well, actually, you were blessed, but you need to see it in that context, right? That is, people love to tell you that hard work brings results and there's a truth to it. The Proverbs tell you that there's a truth to it. But there's also just a genetic reality. I went to school with Adam Gilchrist. I played in the same cricket team. I used to open the batting for the team that Adam Gilchrist played for. I could have spent 12 hours a day for the last 30 years of my life trying to be as good as he was at cricket. And no matter how much effort I put in, I would never have been as good as he is at cricket. He scored his first century in the open competition as a 14-year-old. Okay. I don't think I would have scored a century if I'd spent my entire life. I'm not even sure that I would have gotten into first grade. And so it's all very well to say, work your hardest in order to achieve. But only very, very few. There is only one man who is the fastest 100 metres runner in the world. There are 5,999,000,000. Like, there are lots of people who aren't. <laughs> and probably there's only a dozen people who have a shot at it. Okay, um, And so if that's you, it's because God's made you like that. And so you need to keep learning to give thanks to God that he's made you like that and use the gifts that he has given you and realise that your success is not ultimately from you, it's from the hand of the living God. Yep. 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 Um, it, I think that's right. Uh, although I think um, partly what he, if he had heard the gospel clearly, he may even have chosen to go to China earlier and never have done the running. He did play football. He did. That is, I don't want to, I don't want to deny that we're physical and human and real and I'm certainly not calling us to be mediocre. If you're a doctor, I don't want you to mediocrely doctor me. I'm not particularly interested in having that experience. Um, <laughs> that is, you're called to do your job well, but... That, that, is, that is a little sphere of the bigger picture. And the, we just need, all, you know, all, I say the same thing over and over again. It's the big picture that counts. Okay? And Jesus' lordship really matters. Now, I do want to say one last thing. For those of you who, as I put this idea of freedom on the table, and you're free to kind of work this out in lots of different ways, I really want to encourage you not to be anxious about having that freedom. 
I know that for some of you it's terrifying, and if you're like me, you'd really rather someone gave you a set of rules and gave you three things to do, and if you could do those, then you'd be a very happy person and life would be really good. Don't spend the, rest, don't spend the next three months fretting about your freedom. Live out the life that God's given you currently, and as things come along, reflect on them, respond to them, and keep working out how to honour Jesus in all the relationships that you have. God is a gracious and very big God and he will keep doing his work in the world. I'm going to pray at that point. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, uh, Lord, that he would come and be made like us and die and rise for our life. Father, that he would free us from your anger and judgment, that he would free us from our sinfulness and our selfishness and our self-centeredness to make us people who love you and live the life that you have made for us. God, we come before you and we acknowledge that we are weak and each and every day almost we feel our inadequacy and the fact that we don't do exactly what we might have done. Father, we're sorry for our selfishness and our, our weakness. Although, Father, you have also made us frail and made us people who need to look to you. Lord, please, we pray, help us to be faithful in the places that you've placed us in life. Help us to love Jesus and obey him in everything that we do. And help us to seek, because we know your plans for the world and love others, for opportunities to share the wonderful, liberating message that Jesus is the king over everything and that his death means salvation and forgiveness for all. God, please work through us, we pray, for your glory and for Jesus' honour. And we ask it for his sake. Amen.